when men find the masculine traits that they embody and makes them strong in who they are, and they epitomize those every single day in every conversation, in every interaction, they're unshakable. Their foundation is going to be built on something that could never be moved. Hello there and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky back again. I'm your host. I love bringing this show to you. I'm glad that you've joined us today because on the today's show, I've got somebody very special lined up for you. I have the pleasure of welcoming former Special Operations US Army Ranger and author of Design the Man Within, Becoming a Man the World Needs, Mr. Johnny L. Sasser. Welcome to the show, Johnny. Thank you, Rick, and thank you for having me on here uh, to talk to your community and hang out for a little bit tonight. Uh, look, I'm really looking forward to this call because I've done my research and it's certainly taken um, a, a little bit of a journey to understand your own path, and I'm, I can't wait for you to share that. But uh, first things first, where are you calling in from today? I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, so oh. we're a little behind you, correct? Yeah, just a little bit. Just, we live in the future. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Anything good up there? Yeah, look, I'll tell you what, it's cold, but I'm hoping it's not as cold for you. <laughs> now, no, we're nice and warm over here. So Yeah, fantastic. Now, what we do is we customarily, um, I guess for the sake of context, Johnny, spend a bit of time learning about you and your background and, and those sorts of things. Now, in terms of where you live, has that been your home forever or did you grow up somewhere else? Tell a little bit about your journey. No, I uh, I grew up in the heart of California, a place called Fresno. It's one of the large agricultural areas within the United States and right. uh, grew up in a massive farming county. So grew up there and born and raised in, in that area and uh, went off to the military actually at 17 years old. So I had wow. to get emancipated by my, my parents to actually even be released to the military that summer when I graduated high school. And uh, after that, I, I went through all the training and then um, ended up in a special operations unit that was based out of Washington State. So lived in Washington State for a good four and a half years while I was there, probably a little, probably about five years actually while right. I was there. And then got on with a uh, company, a private company uh, where I was doing protection in the Middle East. And I was protecting the U.S. ambassador to Iraq for about five years. So I basically at that point was living in the Middle East and uh, really uh, was only getting about 30 days off every four months oh, or so. Um, and every 30 days I'd go travel somewhere, which was really cool. Actually, how I spent quite a bit of time down in Australia and New Zealand. Yep. And then, um, and then from there, I... I stopped doing protection in about 2013 and moved back to the Virginia area actually on the east coast and so I haven't lived back in California and then in a, in a long, long, long time, time since yeah, I was about wow. 17 years old. So, <laughs> time time yeah. flies when you're having fun. But uh, I guess for the sake of context, I know that you have a, an early childhood story. Tell us a little bit about what life was uh, like growing up because I know there were some challenges along the way for you. Yeah, you know, it was... Uh, I grew up being very present in my life, which was really, it was a blessing and a curse. And one of those things is that, you know, the blessing was I got to really enjoy a lot of my experience growing up, um, but I didn't have a lot of uh, future ambition as far as like where I was going to go in life. So yeah. I enjoyed all of that, but you know, that presence kind of helped me a lot. So my parents got divorced when I was really, uh, not really young, when I was about 14, 15 years old. Yep. And so I was in this very impressionable age, but I was also at this very good age of being uh, highly social where I had a lot of friends and a lot of things to kind of take me out of any environment that was kind of like, you know, toxic within the house during the divorce. But at that point, I kind of just didn't really want to be involved uh, with my parents whatsoever because they were just kind of going through their stuff. And I just really wanted to live my life and enjoy it. Yep. And at that point, uh, I ended up moving in with my aunt and uncle. And this is a very interesting story because people get kind of like jaw dropped about it. But I moved in with them. They had three boys, my cousins, who I'm very close with. And they just didn't have the room for me in the house, but they wanted to be that like, you know, rock for me during that time. So we actually put up a tent in their backyard <laughs> and I, I slept in a tent for probably about six months to a year while in high school. Uh, and hey, I just love kind of lived with them. That sounds like fun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was so, really good. I, honestly, I didn't mind it. I, I really didn't. But some people hear that and they're like, wow, like if someone would have called like, you know, child protection, like, yeah. People could have gotten in trouble. I was like, <laughs> you know, 
I, I love was living it. life. Thank you yeah. for your feedback. Now, Johnny, I know that uh, 14 is a very impressionable age and uh, with parents going through divorce, you know, I've, I've experienced the same thing. I was a little bit older, but um, it can have some impacts on you. At that time, did you have anybody that you could turn to that, you know, I guess in those formative years that would guide you, would be somewhat of a mentor for you? Can you share a little bit about that part of your life at that stage? Yeah, it was, it was really cool. So the thing, and this is, you know, I talk about this a lot with men and I talk about this in my teaching and a little bit in my book, but part of that is like who I actually gravitated towards, who I mimicked growing up, who I attached to as learning how to be a man. Yep. It's actually not my father. It was my uncle. Oh wow! And when you go down the line of like Bandura social learning theory, Bandura talks about this where we create certain value systems for people in our lives before we can even speak, just based on energy, based on how we view them, based on how they hold themselves, all of these different things. So socially, I looked at my uncle from a very young age. He was also my godfather. So I looked at him as like a man who I really gravitated towards. I, I loved everything he did. I loved watching him. I loved seeing how he held himself and delivered uh, his energy and personality to the world. And so he and I stayed very tight, connected, even to this day. And when I was growing up, when I was going through that you know, particular time in my life, I was very close with my uncle anyways. Yep. And so when I moved in with my uncle and my aunt, it was like me really moving in with my father because of the fact that I was super close with him. I learned pretty much everything I could from him as to how to be a man in the world, how to present myself, how to treat others with respect, and literally got a lot of my tools and masculinity from him. So it was very easy for me to be there, and that really helped guide me along the way for sure. There's certainly a Pandora's box here that we're about to open because there is uh, so many avenues that we can explore down here. And, do, and before we do that, Johnny, I'm wondering if we can just talk a little bit more about, uh, I guess, the things you really enjoy. Now, when you have some downtime, I don't know how much downtime you have. What do you enjoy doing? <laughs> These days, you know what, Rick, it's becoming less and less. But <laughs> the honest the honest truth is that being an entrepreneur, I tend to like the things that I'm doing more, even though it's not like downtime per se. So yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's that mission behind all of it. But for me, what I love doing first off is fitness. Like it's a, it's a place for me that I, I've been going since I was 16 years old. I'm 36 now. And I typically haven't taken off that much time between then. And it's a place that I really just feel like myself and I get to really like get into my own meditative state and Zen. And I love the gym. It just is powerful for me and it helps me to have confidence in who I am as well. It's part of who I am. It's not a, I tell people it's not a have to do, it's a get to do for me. So that's one of the big places I love, but also I'm very much connected to the outdoors. I did grow up camping a lot. I lived in a tent for a while. Uh, <laughs> and, um, we were out, uh, my dad was a mechanic, so we had, you know, big uh, four-wheel drive trucks that were lifted. So we would be on the beaches, driving those in the dunes and camping on the beaches, or we'd be up in the mountains. So I love the outdoors. And if I can get some space to go out and do hiking and just find myself in that, like I, that is my happiest place happiest on this place. planet, to be outdoors hiking, yeah. Yeah, so are you an early riser? Do you get up early? And tell us a little bit about the daily routine. I do because, you know, um, as you know, Rick, like routines set us up. It prime, primes us for our days and our evening routines prime us for the next morning and yes, the next sir. day. So it's like, you know, they, it's this, this cycle that we uh, continually follow. And for me, I get up at 5 a.m. And the reason I do that is because I absolutely love the sunrise. It's obviously one of the most beautiful things, in my opinion, to see. Yep. So I get up at 5 a.m. here. Um, our sunrise is about 6, maybe a little bit after 6. And I'll start to get into my morning routine of, um, drinking 30 ounces of water, having coffee with a seven mushroom blend like chaga, reishi, wow. uh, turkey's tail and th stuff like that to help uh, prime my brain and yep. to focus. And then I also have a tablespoon of grass-fed butter in there. So that's also to help prime my brain and promote thermogenesis. Um, so I do all of that in the morning. I do meditation. I do a journal practice. I do this really uh, interesting thing. It's called a vitality swing. And okay. what yep. it is, is it, it's, you can find them on Amazon. I don't do anything with this company. I just love their <laughs> stuff. This yeah, thing yeah. looks like it's from 1970s. I swear. <laughs> if you buy it, it's just like they haven't changed it. And it just goes on the ground and it's got this little kind of back and forth rotating thing swing that yep. you put your ankles in and it just rotates your the pretty much the lower half of your body up until the lower part of your spine it just oh, yeah. rotates that 
for about 16 minutes is the timer that it has built into it. And what happens is it, it basically moves the energy in your body. And as it stops, this wave of energy from your feet all the way up your legs comes uh, flowing through your body. It's similar to like Qigong, right? Yeah, Except yeah. you're not actually doing. So it kind of mimics those effects. And they call, they, they call it the chi machine, but it's a vitality swing. And, and I do that every morning for about 16 minutes. So with that meditation, some journaling before I even get into my workday, that takes up about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. And then I'm up in my office around 6.15, 6.30, and I'm starting to get on with my, my business and everything else uh, that I'm embarking on for that day. Hey, do you listen to music? And what sort of music do you listen to if you do? Um, I, in the meditation I do, I've created a playlist. A lot of it is like Ram Das. Uh, a lot of it is, um, is uh, uh, Alan Watts. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, some, some uh, John Hopkins. Uh, there's a guy, East Forest, who does some like kind of beats, like music beats that are very like soothing and meditative. So I got his stuff on there as well. Um, and then a few other just, you know, random people that I have found that I really like their stuff when I'm doing meditation. Yeah, great feedback. Thank you so much. Now, sometimes yeah. I wake up of the morning, Johnny, and I really just want to pull the covers back over my head. Do you ever get those days and how do you overcome them if they happen for you? Absolutely. I am a human being <laughs> oh, and yes. <laughs> 100% we all have those days. So I could never fault anybody having them. The only difference that I have nowadays is the tools to, to overcome that desire. And one of those is like, have you ever heard of Mel Robbins? She wrote, I, I believe it's like the five, it's like the five second something. I can't remember the full name, but Mel Robbins wrote this book right. and she talks about how we have five seconds to basically act before our consciousness will start to justify an action that we don't want to actually do. So for instance, staying in bed, right? So what she says is, and this is the easiest thing is like the alarm clock is immediately when it comes off, when it goes off, uh, put your feet down on the ground. So oh, that yes. means for some people, maybe your alarm clock actually physically needs to be to a place that you need to get up if you're very stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you have a little bit of that willpower, what you can do is I keep mine next to my bed, but I'll grab it, turn off the alarm, and immediately shift my legs and feet to the floor. Yes. So within that five-second window, I'm just automatically putting my body in motion, yeah. and I'm changing the trajectory of me having that conversation to tell myself it's, to oh, it's okay it. for 15 more minutes. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because given your background, you know, we've, we've just touched on discipline and obviously a bit of mindset because I think largely this is all a mindset game. But if I can, I, I want to allude to a video that I saw a U.S. general give. And he talked about if you do nothing else of a morning, make sure you make your bet. Because it doesn't matter mm -hmm. what happens throughout your day, you can always, even if it's a bad day, you can get back into that bed and know and feel good about it. Now, tell me, I know given what I've, the example I've given, do you have anything like that you, you, that you think about? Yeah, you know, so, uh, in terms of what was that? Oh, Sorry. just examples of the similar things. Oh. Yeah, so a good friend of mine, uh, Bedros Koulian, talks about this, and I've, I've done this as well, or I, I kind of look at things this way, and we, we talk about, about stacking wins, right? right? And so what it is is like when we have integrity with our word, we end up believing what we say we're going to do, and then we'll follow through, which gives us higher levels of confidence and gives us higher levels of action. And what happens is as soon as, for instance, we'll go back to the alarm scenario, as soon as you hit the alarm and then go back to bed, your brain is already registering a loss because it says, you said you were going to get up at five, but you didn't get up at five. So now all of your other standards for the rest of your day, your subconscious has, categor has categorized as negotiable. And so wow. all of a sudden we've lost integrity with our word and our subconscious. We have to remember this. Our subconscious is a million times more powerful than our prefrontal cortex. If you think you're going to beat the subconscious, you are absolutely wrong. And so the subconscious is going to start stacking those L's and stacking that negotiation, not in favor of you. Yes. And you're going to be battling that for the rest of the day. So when I look at these things, I, I call it integrity. And this is what we did in special operations is what you do. Uh, integrity, we classify as something you do when no one else is looking. Are you doing the right things when nobody else is there to give you a pat on the back and tell you good job? Are yep. you doing the right things to follow through with when you say that you're going to commit to something? You're yes and your no has a high level of quality to it and that's what i look at so i stack wins as soon as i put my feet on the ground i register got one win in the books as yes. soon as i go and start doing my meditation 
my second win in the books, my journal, third win in the books, my vitality swing, fourth win in the books. Now I'm stacking wins to give myself a lot of this momentum and energy to just take on the day and know that I'm committed to everything I say from here on out and that anything that follows is going to have action taken against it. And so that's what I do. I look at that. And if I have a bad day, because for whatever reason, we all have them, <laughs> they slip in there. Oh, yeah. I start to say, okay, you got an L right now, but how do we register a win right after it so we can start to give our brains that focus on the wins and the integrity again? So if I stack one of those L's in there, I immediately do something to where I can give myself a positive reinforcement of a win right afterwards. Yeah, that's fantastic feedback. Thank you so very much, Johnny. Now tell me, we're all yeah. good at one thing. Like, What's the one thing that you think you're the best at? <laughs> uh, the one thing I think I'm the out best of all at. your talents, what do you what would you put up there with the best? Oh man, um, I would say that my best thing, which is really funny, people would look at me and not think this, but <laughs> I am very very good at synthesizing very high level intellectual information and then bringing it down to where it's understandable for like the average person yes, that yep. may not even have much experience in that field similar to like not not putting myself on his level because he's amazing at this but similar to like a neil degrasse tyson if oh, you, yeah, you yeah. know yeah yeah so like he's very good at this and that's what i pride myself in is that i've been able to do that my whole life and that's kind of like why my book i i did that in some of the pieces of my book is I broke down some really complex information and made it palatable so people can understand it for the context of helping them, you know, build their own mindset and actually increase their ability to be successful in the changes they want to have in their lives. You know, I think I know what the answer to this uh, question is, but what makes life worthwhile for you at the end of days and you look back over your life, what would be the one thing that would really make life worthwhile, do you think? In all honesty, it's going to sound very simple and it may sound very bland, but I will tell you right now from, from the experience of having my life on the line for about a decade between protection and special operations, the one thing I would say that life is worthwhile is if I look back and don't have regret because I actually experienced every single day I lived. Uh, that to me is, is so powerful because it seems kind of big, but I promise you, if you experience and are present in every single day and you remember those moments of being there, not saying, oh, I just floated through that. Yes. Then for me, that is the, that is a way I would love to end this life. Absolutely. You know, it seems to me that you're full of the attitude of gratitude. And I think that's something that you've had to hone over time and you've obviously worked at it and you're obviously working with some great people and you've become an author. You've done so many different things, but I think we need to add a little bit more context. So I'm wondering mm. if you can just spend a bit of time talking about um, your existence in special operations. What was it like? You did four tours and you know, it's just an amazing story. I'm always really interested to learn about mm. this sort of thing. Could you possibly share it with us? Yeah, absolutely. I did. When I was in special operations, the time there was, it wasn't easy. Like that was a, it's an arduous time, as you can imagine. It's the top 1% of the U.S. military. Mm. And to get there, everybody, every single person that is in your way to get there wants you to quit. And when you actually get there, especially in your first year, they actually want you to quit while you're there too because they want only the best of the best, the people who can persevere in the toughest and most austere times. And so I don't say that to pump myself up. I say mm -hmm. that because that's the reality of what it was. And in that, um, you're constantly in this position of always looking to be better than everybody next to you when you're in training and yep. you're always looking to have their back when you're in war. And so when I did four combat tours over there, thousands of missions, um, it was just making sure that you were present. And mm. this was one of the things that why my answer before when you said how I could end this life, what would be you know great yeah, for yeah. me. Yep. This is why it's so important because I learned when my life was on the line every night, mm. if I didn't take what was in front of me, if I wasn't present and I was thinking about something else, there was a high likelihood I was going to get killed or somebody else was going to get killed. Yeah. And so that presence of seeing what was in front of you became a tool that all of us had to really harness or else we weren't able to be successful. And so that was one of the things. But in the military and just being in that environment alone, it's re it really brings you back down to the basics, the fundamentals of life, the, the small, simple things. Like when 
you know, you get in an argument with a spouse or when, you know, you're struggling in the day because you're like, I don't have enough money and I need this. And you really take a step back. And I think back to my experience of having my life on the line. I'm like, in the grand scheme of things, I can change everything right now. I couldn't change everything if I got killed. And so at this point, the cosmic perspective is, all right, I can make things better. Tomorrow's another day. And I actually have the ability to change not only my perception, but my trajectory and everything else I receive from the universe. And so it wasn't always gratitude that came afterwards. So I love that you pointed it out because to be honest, especially when I was doing uh, protection, right? Um, In special operations, we were hunting terrorists. We were going after bad people who were hurting a lot of innocent people and doing a lot of bad stuff in general. We were going after them, right? Well, in protection, it's different. You're playing a defensive game. So you're surveying the field and you're covering a specific person to make sure they're not harmed or injured. And you have to survey the entire environment and and kind of predetermine where your threats are and where your vulnerabilities are and Mm -hmm. all of these other things. And so this is, I'll bring us back to gratitude here in a second. I was living a life based on judgment. (laughs) So (laughs) I had to judge everything and I had to judge it harshly because I had to judge it for the worst case scenario. Absolutely. And I had to say, well, if this goes to a point where this guy pulls out a gun He's this far away from me. He's this far away from the U.S. ambassador. What are my options? So, like, even though the guy could have been the nicest dude in the world, I had to look at every scenario with certain aspects of body language, understanding their eye movements, their facial uh, movements, and yep. kind of what entered energy they had towards the environment. So there was a huge level of judgment, and I brought this into my life when I left all of that back in 2013 and came back to the U.S. to the quote-unquote regular world. I had to bring all that with me because that's all I knew. Well, guess what, Rick? It wasn't serving me. (laughs) It wasn't serving me at all because I would see all the negative things and I would never see the beautiful, positive things in front of me. And that was when that was my dark journey down my own path of drinking too much, of losing myself, of losing my purpose because I wasn't fighting for our flag anymore. Um, And I ended up having a failed marriage. Mm. And in all of that, I had to realize that that judgment was causing me a lot of hardship and causing me to be a man I didn't like. And so gratitude was my only choice or else things were going to get even worse. Is it, now, I don't know much about this topic. Is that what you'd call PTSD? Coming back and having no, troubles? I don't understand that. No, no. Uh, PTSD tends to stem from certain scenarios that we have. Like, for instance, if we got in a gunfight and all of a sudden, like certain things um, cause me to be very anxious in everyday life. Right. Right. Like certain noises and things like so there's like usually it's predicated off of scenarios um, and then end up predicating emotions, feelings and uh, um connections to those specific scenarios that bring Uh, you back to the past. I didn't necessarily have that. Mine was just based simply upon the fact that I had to look at everything with a judgmental eye. And with that judgmental eye, I started to look at my normal life because I didn't know any different. I'd been, I've been doing these kinds of jobs since I was 17 years old. So I didn't know any different. I was 28 at the time, came back to, to normal life and was just looking at every scenario. Yeah. I was, I was looking at every scenario as dangerous and a threat and like what was the biggest threat in there and all these different things. And while that can serve us to an extent, especially as being protectors, that does not serve you to look at your whole life that way. And that's what I realized. That was my struggle. Thank you again for sharing. Um, I've learned something today. I'm just wondering, um, I think it's uh, appropriate to sort of, I guess, talk about the the men that you work with. Are they all um, from out of the field like you were? Is that who your client base is? No, 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 no. I work with guys from all different backgrounds. I'm actually finding that it's pretty much guys from about um, roughly about like, I would say 24 would be like the youngest, but about 24 to about 47 is my range of men that I'm working with. And they have all different backgrounds from guys that are farmers, from guys that are uh, retirees, from guys who are just simply living a blue collar life and trying to get by as like their, their, um, you know, trying to get by as good yeah. men to their yeah. families and, mm-hmm. and also, ex, you know, business executives. Like I've had them come to me and be like, Hey man, I am not happy. I have all the money. I have the business, but I cannot find happiness, happiness. here. And it's yeah. like, 
yeah, it's kind of like, hey, man, we got to start working on your internal state then. And so, yeah, it's kind of a wide range. I do get veterans. I do get first responders. Yeah, but men in general are are coming from all different walks of life, to be honest. Thank you very much for the feedback. Tell me, can you recall the moment, the genesis, I guess you'd call it, um, where you decided and knew that this was your calling and this is what you're going to do? Where did it come from? Where did the, the drive for this happen? Uh, as most of us men, uh, it first came out of stubbornness of not wanting to do it. So <laughs> that, was, that was my initial path. My, my, uh, wife now, but at the time was, was a good friend of mine. She yep. was already on her own self-enlightenment path and she knew there was, you know, things I was struggling with, knew my background and stuff. So she, she tossed me a book and it was called excuses be gone by Dr. Wayne Dyer. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. And, um, I naturally, as a man, threw it down and said, yeah, I'm not going to read that. You know, I'm not going to have somebody. (laughs) Yeah, it's rubbish. Uh, I'm not going to have a guy tell me how to be a good man in this world. He has no concept of my background, like all these excuses, right? You don't know me. What's called. Yeah, you don't know me. And the the book's called Excuses Be Gone. So this was rich. Um, So I'm sitting there making all these excuses and I'm still not seeing the world any better. I'm still not having this positive feel in everyday life. I'm not having as I'm not having fun. Yes. Still feeling this judgment around. I'm still not making friends. And so with all of that, I was like, huh, I may as well give this book a try. So I start reading it and Dr. Wayne Dyer, brilliant, brilliant individual has long since passed, but brilliant individual. And he writes like he's punching you right in the stomach, but very, very eloquently. And I was like, yes. oh, man, I can't hide from this anymore. He knows exactly what I'm going through. And from that moment on, I started to consume self-development books. I started to consume podcasts. I started to hear tools from men and women that I was like, oh, wow, that would be really cool. Let me see how I can implement that. Oh, let me sit with that and journal about it. Let me sit with that and meditate on it. Let me just really think about this while I'm in the gym, which is another place where I meditate essentially. And so I started to really build myself and then I started to take action and put myself in um, uh, with in masterminds and with yep. coaches. And then I also started to do my own journey of uh, development and research. So, uh, backing up just a second is I have two master's degrees and a bachelor's degree. And I only say that because it taught me really well how to research. And this is where it comes down to what I was telling you before, which is I'm great at synthesizing complex information. So what I started to do was actually dive into a lot of the studies, the sociological studies on masculinity, which most men, even men's coaches don't know too much about. They haven't done that research. And then I also started to jump into the psychological stuff behind masculinity. And so as I started to really gather information there, I was like, huh, well, you know what? I do know also another thing. Most men don't, just like I did when I started, won't want to listen to people unless they respect their background. It's just really something that, you know, men carry with them. And I was like, well, most men will respect my background to give me five minutes of their day. And in that five minutes, if I can give them something to help them challenge their own way of living or their perception or a tool that can help them in their life, then I've done my job. And if I can leverage my background to do that, then that's a beautiful thing. So that was the genesis. And I started my podcast and started uh, doing that and started doing coaching and started really just putting myself in environments where there was groups of men. And I was like, hey, guys, let's have conversations around this stuff. So your podcast is called The Art of Masculinity, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is The Art of Masculinity. It's been a a lot of fun. I have absolutely cherished it. I can understand why you enjoy podcasting. I've done it for a little while myself now. Yeah. <laughs> now, now let's break that down. The the word masculinity. I think there's some. It's quite relevant to. I guess segue into that. What does it mean to be masculine? Well, it's it's incredibly funny because most people haven't looked. Up, I'm very very big into etymology, and so I love to understand the root of where we're deriving our words from, so mm. we can really understand what we're saying. And I looked at masculinity, and if you do the research on masculinity, it's very ambiguous. It literally states, I'll paraphrase here, but it literally states something along the lines of masculinity means to be doing something that is masculine, 
or deemed male. And you're like, well, that's a uh, little ambiguous because yeah, culturally yeah, that's very different around the world. Right. So, <laughs> so I looked at this and I said, wow, okay, that's ambiguous. And then I looked at masculine because it refers to masculine within the definition of masculinity. And along the same lines, it is something very ambiguous of uh, like what a male does or how a male presents themselves. And you're like, huh, well, this is very interesting now because there is no definition here. And I'm like, well, I know there are certain traits that come along with being a man. There just are inherently. We have them, right? Yep, yep. But like we, we haven't defined them. And, and I would assume femininity is probably the same way. There's no definition for these things, but it's very much clearer as to what falls into femininity as opposed to like masculinity. And yep. so I was like, well, we got to start really looking hard at this because nothing's been codified. So how do we break this down to, to understand what is masculine? And yeah, like you said, what does masculinity really even mean? What's, what's it and it's mean? like, well, yeah, what's it mean? And so for me, what I'm what I have come up with um, doing a, a lot of this research and then speaking with a lot of my friends who are also men's leaders in this space, I have come up with kind of the idea that masculinity behind it is the prescription that society gives and expects men to perform within society right yes, and so yep. it's ba basically this gives us the ability to see masculinity that there are certain traits that do fall in it and we could probably codify those but also understanding that masculinity is not going to look the same cross-culturally there's different expectations say for instance in australia as there are in somewhere in asia right yes or yep you know, masculinity in the U S is going to be very different from masculinity in Spain, right? Like, so we have to really understand that society expects men to do certain things in those cultures very differently because of the things that they deal with, the environments they have, and then what is expected of them socially as they've evolved as certain air in certain areas of the world. And I, I went back and I said, well, okay, let me challenge my own idea around this. How can we even explain that? And I said, well, yep. okay, well, let's look ancestrally, right? Masculinity kind of fell, in my opinion, around four different things. And that was courage, protection, providing, and leadership, right? So those are probably the four main themes I saw ancestrally with masculinity. They Every tribe expected men to do that. Well, yep. what was the one common theme globally? The one common theme globally was every single tribe was merely trying to survive. So you had one common goal that uh, penetrated the entire planet and every tribe was doing the same exact thing. So of course, masculinity was going to look the same. Yes. Well, what happened, Rick? We created, <laughs> we created society, right? Yeah, we created well, civilization, fun. right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny because it made me start to think about a hierarchical systems that we see around even our homes. And, you know, for example, um, I have three Rottweilers. I love them. And, uh, but they need a pack structure and I need to be, yeah. uh, in control because I have two young children and my mm -hmm. lovely wife and, um, they can get a bit, bit rowdy at times if you don't set yourself, I guess, as the leader of that pack. Now, in yep. terms of using, I guess, that example, how does that, uh, I guess, transpose itself in society nowadays do you think and in family structures well you know that's a great question because when we look at when we, so when we look at dogs we look at wolves uh we look at the evolution of them right and mm. the evolution determines that they need an alpha they always have an alpha and most mm. the animal kingdom does they have an alpha that has to be the governing piece and keep everybody in line for the overall mission of the pack right yeah so yep. ultimately when it comes to that we look at how they actually evolved and it's the same thing now with humans again if we look at the household typically for the most part men are bigger and stronger so immediately in the household say for instance we consider your household a tribe well yep. the tribe looks to you to protect right and so therefore now all of a sudden you're being associated with masculinity in in consideration to your specific tribe right so if we look and we get really granular that's what it looks like how it transposes to society nowadays if we look to that granularity 
But on the same token, then we have to take it wider and say, well, what does society expect men to do? Because society yep. doesn't necessarily expect men to protect anymore. We've created structures for that. Now, granted, it's predominantly dominated by men. But on the same token, law enforcement has been created to enforce the laws. The laws have been created to keep everybody within order or for the most part, most people within order. And yep. all of that has kind of taken that role that men used to embody and be expected to do and now put it on a force that actually could be blended of men and women. Right. Yes. So now yep. even a man in a household doesn't necessarily have to be a protector to be a man. And not only that, but some of those households, their family doesn't even look at them to be the protector because society has gotten, on average, so safe that they don't even think about that. You know, it's yeah. not something that really comes through. And so when we look at that conversation, we, we really have to take this into account on many different levels. But that's how I would believe it transposes yeah, yeah. because the fact yeah. is if you get granular, you know, households would deem, you know, Rick, your household deems you as the protector right my wife deems me as the protector and so here that is my masculine role what is expected to me how my wife views me how you know your kids view you and so that becomes the basis of our masculinity within our tribe but then could shift as people look at us outside of that yeah and no, that's funny when you say outside of that i can't help but think currently what we're seeing across the likes of social media you talked about earlier that we've created society and things have come to this point but i have to ask you know what is your view especially when a, a young man or an old man middle-aged man doesn't matter is having struggles with their self-talk their identity especially when they grab that little mobile device they log into social and there's all this opinion about uh i guess all number of different things relating to being a man and what their role is and i guess gender fluidity and all these questions it's very complex out there what do you say to that and do you think it's better just to turn off the phone <laughs> well in all reality i'd say it is better to turn off the phone because i love being <laughs> outdoors and i love being separated from my phone yep. but on the same token that's not realistic in in society today nor is it realistic with where we're going yep. and so for me when i look at that um, it's a couple things, you know, they talked to, I can't remember who said it, but they basically said, if you want to start confusing society, uh, introduce gender ideology. Right. Mm. And so that was one of the things. And so it's like, okay, guys, we really have to understand who we are individually. And this is what I try to get men to do, because this is, if I take everybody back to my special operations days, the reason why we were so good and why we were so feared was because yep. it didn't matter what happened. It didn't matter how chaotic the environment got. Our fundamentals were so good that the foundation we sat on when we went to our sympathetic nervous state was so high that nobody could compete with us. That was the difference. We trained so hard and so rigorously to such a high standard that our baseline foundation was far beyond anybody else's skills. That's just a fact. And so, yeah. but I take that, I took that and I take that now and I say, as men, are we training to that high standard as individuals? And if you're not, when, when things get crazy, when people start questioning you, when people start attacking masculinity, men are going to shake and fall over because they don't have a foundation. You're not mm. confident in how you present yourself as a man and you're not yeah. confident in the traits of the man that you are. And therefore you're going to be bullied. You're going to be shoved. You're going to be manipulated and you're going to start to be confused. But men that are solid in their foundation and know what it is that they embody that makes them a man, a strong masculine figure within society, within their household, that makes them confident in who they are, those men aren't shaken. You can question them all day and they're going to stand there and start to question you back because they're going to be like, well, what's your reasoning? And yeah. so when that happens, then you start to see that power. And again, that is that masculinity coming out, that strength and ownership of his own power and he's using it for good right and so yep. i think that for me when i see all this stuff middle-aged guys young guys i got young guys coming to me and they're starting to want to do this work because they're like i want to be strong in who i am as i get older because i'm seeing what's going on and starting to make me shake a little bit right yeah yeah and so you know even with middle-aged men they're they're wanting to reframe because they've lost themselves too 
And yep. so when we when we look at that, it's like, okay, guys, we need to start. And this is why I think in in my future goals, maybe I'll be back on the show down the road yeah, and we'll absolutely. talk about how I how I codified masculine traits, right? Because that's mm -hmm. one of my goals. I want to start to codify these because I think there are embodiments of str strictly masculine traits that are expected of men within society. And so, but I take this down that road for a second because I want to say that when men find the masculine traits that they embody and makes them strong in who they are and they epitomize those every single day in every conversation in every interaction then that allows them to stand up in the face of all of this stuff and i've coined this my own term which is um the like a masculine blueprint yep. and it's helping guys really define that for themselves and not allow somebody else to define that for them and once they're aligned with that they're unshakable. Their foundation is going to be built on something that could never be moved. And once that happens, watch out because then they can get more complex. They can start to gain knowledge in other areas and build on that foundation to then be able to maneuver and negotiate these types of uh, confronting conversations within society. Yeah, and there's certainly plenty of those, and we can only um, touch the surface, as it were, Johnny, on on all of the things that I'd love to talk with you about. Now, yeah, tell tell me a little bit about um, where um, when you decided to write the book. Did you enjoy the experience? I absolutely loved it. I really did. Um, I, like I said, having all the degrees I have, I realized at some point I actually like writing. Yeah. And I like questioning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love questioning. <laughs> so, did you? So those, uh, did you? Was it, were you a keyboard type of guy, or did you put pen to paper? Um. So, uh, I, for this book, I did uh, keyboard. Yeah, keyboard, just so I could write. You know, quickly. quickly um, I didn't but, write it. I definitely would love to do the process of pen to paper, but I would like to do a book. If I do that, I'd like to seclude myself for probably a couple months in like Costa Rica or somewhere. Yeah. Um and write a book like that for sure because i think that would be very cool do you, but, do you uh, have another book coming up at all i'm i've already started to view uh, a couple more books i really want to start to take us back down the um kind of inception of masculinity and make that more of a a fun book to read with yep. uh, the complexities of ancestral and the sociological development through uh civilization and things like that so I definitely have, I'm going to probably start working on that pretty soon because that yep. seems like a lot of fun for me. <laughs> well, tell, us, tell us a little bit about Design the Man Within, Becoming a Man the World Needs. Tell us a little bit about the structure and some of the, I guess, the content that a reader will come across. Yeah, I, I, it was, it, for me, when I first started my journey, uh, somebody tossed me a book and this was before, this was after my wife had tossed me the Excuses Be Gone book. So that got me in self-development. But when I started to get into the men's space, somebody tossed me a, specifically a men's book and it was very esoteric. It was very energetic. It was very yep. um, uh, intangible. Like I could not, I had no reference point for it. So it didn't make sense to me. And I was like, this, this just literally has no place in my life right now because I've yep. just started this journey and you're handing me something that's, you know, 10 years down the road. Yes, and yes. as I started to read more, I started to understand that there, there wasn't a lot of men's books, if any, that could actually just creak open the door for the everyday man. And I was like, man, somebody's got to create this. Like we have to get the everyday, the 97% of men out there. We've got to get the everyday guy on board or this is going to be another failed men's movement like we did in the 80s and 90s. Mm. And so I was like, well, you know, again, I can't complain about something if I'm not going to show up and try to correct it, right? So yep. uh, Design the Man Within, I created because it was the book I needed, you know, seven years ago. And it comes from a man who has lived that blue collar life, who's worked yep. hard his whole life and understands a lot of the conversations and struggles that the, that the everyday man is having and really addresses those and talks about the tools that I used to get through those moments in my life yep. and then hands those tools off with practices to the men that read the book because of the fact that I'm all about giving you a way to be able to fix the struggles and issues that you have in your life. And for me, it's not a, that I've conquered any of these things. It's mm -hmm. not. I still struggle with them. The only difference I have now is I have the tools to get out of them a little faster than I used to be able to. Yeah, and so it was to, it was, I wrote the book for the everyday guy to realize one, they're not alone mm -hmm. in their struggles, 
They're not alone in their negative criticism of themselves. They're not alone in their judgment of themselves. And they're not alone in their negative self-talk. And also that there is a way out of that so you can create a better relationship first and foremost with yourself. And second, which will then permeate to everybody else who loves you in your life and who you love. And so that was when I, what I created. That's what you'll come across all throughout yep. the book. Yep. There's 19 chapters. It was a lot of fun to write. And I, and I go over a lot of different topics that men are processing in their lives, or at least I believe they are processing in their lives today. Yeah, look, I, I also enjoy watching your video shorts and uh, also stumbled across, uh, which I find fantastic, by the way. They're so informative. In such a short amount of time, you can you can share so much now. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about, I guess, does the book contain, I guess, uh, anything to do with the key principles of leadership? Because you did a video on that. Um, I, I did. I, yes, I did include a chapter of leadership because I think that, again, that is that is an expectation I have had on myself as a man. And I see that that's one of the ancestral things. So I wanted to give men that ability because the idea around leadership is that leadership isn't just you can't be a good leader. I talk about this. Custer was a leader. He was terrible. He got everybody <laughs> killed. Yeah. So just <laughs> not all leaders are created equal. And no. every every man can learn to be a good leader like you can carry the energy of a leader and people will defer to you i have seen this happen people will defer to you but there is some there is a natural point where that ability if you do not take on that leadership and learn how to become a good leader that you will be a custer and people will follow you and you will lead them to the slaughter and it's so disaster. yeah yeah and so for me it's important that we address some of those key pieces to leadership and how men can become and train and learn to be good leaders in this world that way if they are looked at that or expected to be that then they're able to actually carry that torch and not lead everybody to disaster yeah, great feedback. Absolutely loving this call. It's been so rich with content. Really, really enjoying it. Now, tell us a little bit about the wild man experience. What's that about? <laughs> well, it's really <laughs> funny. So I appreciate you, Rick. This has been a lot of fun. You're a great host. You've obviously yeah. done this a, a couple times, right? Just so, a couple uh, of times. <laughs> um, but uh, it's really funny because the wild man experience is, is a blast for me. I love doing it. And it's really more because I want to go hang out with good guys and like yep. <laughs> just do that. And so I yep. do it. Um, and it's really funny because uh, uh, some of my good buddies from Australia, from the Gold Coast, want to come over and do it uh, in the next like year or so. Um, yep. But the Wild Man Experience is really, it's a place where I take guys and put them in a very masculine environment. And in that masculine environment, they're learning new skills. We're having great conversations. And we're also sprinkling in self-development. We're also asking the real questions. Hey, man, you know, it's usually around mealtime, we'll sit and share. Hey, what are you struggling with right now? And every guy goes, what's hurting yeah, I've you I've right seen now the images of everybody sitting around the table, around the fire and having a good time. I loved it. Yeah. And that's what we do because that's the kind of environment I want to be in. I want to be in a cool, fun environment. And I, I want to be in that environment with my brothers. And in that environment, I can have a great time and also share real things, real conversations. It's not about, you know, football and women. It's about, hey, man, how's your life going? When's the last time you said something grateful to yourself about what you've done. Hey, when's the last time you showed up and you're really proud of what you did? Or hey, what is it that really is hurting you right now? What's holding you back right now? How do you feel you're showing up in your life and what areas could we improve that? So we have all these conversations and we go through that stuff while we're there, but it's in really fun environments. And the one in Texas I do, we take guys out and we sprinkle in a lot of my background. So we have them shooting guns, they shoot from a moving car. They shoot from a helicopter. Uh, we teach them some close quarter combat stuff that I did overseas. Yep, yep. So they get to have a lot of that fun. And then we go back and we have the state of the art, you know, uh, lodge with an executive chef and beautiful rooms. And the guys get to relax, chill, have good food, sit around a fire and have great conversation. And then in another one I do up in Kodiak, Alaska, we're out in the wilderness. We do these beautiful hikes. We do meditations at the top of mountains. We go deep sea fishing. We go river fishing. Oh, uh, we, we take a boat plane and go see Kodiak bears, like literally about 30 feet away from us. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's just a lot of fun. And the same thing, we're having real conversations in the hikes. We're having real conversations at the mealtime. And we're also doing a lot of fun activities together. So for me, it's the kind of place that I want to be with my brothers. And so I created it because I was like, again, 
I can't complain about something if I'm not going to step up and take take the challenge on. And, and that's what I did with the Wildman experience. You know, I can see, and given what I've read and, uh, you know, the, I guess the testimonials, if you like, you know, it's okay to feel good about yourself. And I wonder how it makes you feel, Johnny, when you can see that transformation in somebody that's come to you. How does it make you feel? It's, uh, you know, in all honesty, I, I can't say I've had many better feelings in my life than to see somebody uh, reach out to me and say, man, the work that we did was amazing. Even if it was for like a short time over the weekend, or if I've done one-on-one -on -one coaching, the work that we've done is amazing. And my relationship is back on track, or I feel great about myself. I'm starting to have more time with my kids. I'm starting to have more time for myself. I just look at the world a lot differently. I hear these things from guys and that just, it, there's not many things that bring a smile to my face as much and as often as something like that does. And it just fills my heart because at the end of the day, I truly just want men to have lives that they are proud of and that they also enjoy and experience. They don't just let it pass them by. And to me, that's special because the next generation is looking to them for that and their spouses are looking to them for that. And I want them to be able to deliver that, but also deliver that from an authentic place in their heart so they feel complete as well. Yeah, look, uh, feeling good about yourself, knowing that you're worth something, knowing that there's a, I guess, a, 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 I guess a star at the end of the tunnel, as they say, a light at the end of the tunnel makes all the difference. And I'm pretty sure that there's going to be a lot of people uh, watching today's call, Johnny, who want to know more and about how to connect with you, how to get involved with this, because I, I, I'm assuming, do many of the men that go from the wild man experience join you on the elite man community? Um, yeah, so they, we roll them into the elite man community. I kind of built that a little later. So we're, yep, we're going to yep. roll some of the old um, participants from the wild man in there. That's going to be one of the things that I offer for them. And then uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're trying to build that community because it's pretty new. So yeah, we're just trying to incorporate a lot of men into it so we can give them a place where they have community of like-minded individuals. And then we give them a lot of tools. I mean, it's structured to give an abundance of tools. I've, I've done it to actually have a new topic every month and then in inside of those topics there's a sub talk topic every week which guys get a video on and they get a pdf worksheet and we have conversations in the community so it's a lot of development inside of it but it's also community of men who are gonna you know hold them accountable but also share their own journey as well so yeah from from those guys getting rolled in there to bringing in new guys who are just interested and hopefully the book will will help guys want to be part of that as well and it'll give them a path to start working on this development piece so they can be happier in their lives there's certainly a lot to be uh, looking forward to especially if they connect with you johnny now on that where are they going to find you where's your website uh, so they can go find me at Johnny, which is J-O-H-N-N-Y, Elsasser, E-L-S-A-S-S-E-R, johnnyelsasser.com. You can find everything there from the email list, which is a lot of content driven as well. Um, if you've noticed, I love giving free content because on all yep. honesty, I just really want to, I really want to help people. So yeah, I'm just trying to get it all out there. Um, yep, yep. So they can go there, get the email list. You can check out some of the free things that I have going on, which is uh, I have a template for relationships, a template for single guys, and then also um, a thing for helping to build masculinity, the four, uh, four masculinity traits or helping guys, you know, find that four pieces of masculinity within them. So um, that is another piece. So anyways, that's, they can find the podcast there. They can get part of the community there. They can find the elite man community and then they can see everything that we got going on. So that's the best place to get it. And then if anybody wants to buy design the man within, you can go to yes, design yes. the man within.com and over there we'll have a link to, to getting the book right now. Um, depending on when this airs, we're giving the ebook for 99 cents up until the yep. publishing, which is uh, May 16th. So if anybody wants to get that, that would be amazing. And you guys can get that for pretty much free at this point. Yeah, look, I'm I'm absolutely sure and certain, Johnny, given the, the conversation that we've had today, there's going to be a lot of inter interested people wanting to learn more, get the book, join your communities and just get involved. And with that all being said, thank you so very much for joining me on the My Future Business Show today. Thank you, Rick.